Hello, 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 know-it-alls, and welcome back to the Know-It-All podcast. I am your host, Riley Sue, and I am so excited to be joining y'all for another installment in our pursuit to know a little bit about everything. Last week, we covered the wide-ranging and wildly delicious world of condiments, and honestly, I didn't expect there to be so much discourse over our feelings towards our four condiments that I covered, but y'all have opinions, which I guess is fine because I stated many opinions last week. I also definitely pulled a quad or something in my leg making that TikTok of the condiments walking. If you're totally lost as to what the hell I'm talking about, you should go check out the video on Instagram because I truly suffered and am still suffering for that art, so I need many, many likes and comments to help heal my wounds. Before we head into our topic this week, though, I do have a bit of housekeeping that I want to keep you updated on and I want to go ahead and do at the top. We are in the downhill of our first season of the pod. When I originally planned to start the podcast, I didn't know if I would even hit 10 episodes. And here I am recording number 15. Gee willikers, how time has flown. But we're wrapping up the season, so what does that mean? Well, it means a few things. First, it means that I'm going to take a short break from putting out episodes. I've gone back and forth on this a lot, but to be totally honest with you, I have a volunteer program that I participate in each summer and... There's just no way that I could spend eight days working there for them and still be present enough to support the podcast. So I'm just going to have to take a three-week hiatus. I will put out our 20th episode on June 21st, and then I'll be gone for the last week of June and the first two weeks of July. Throughout this time, I'll still be active on Instagram, you know, putting up memes that I've made but never got around to posting. And then when I'm back on July 19th, we'll be starting our second season of the pod. And I've got so much planned, a lot of stuff for the new season that I'm really excited about, some changes that I think you guys will love and are really going to help take us to the next level. Just trust me when I say that this three-week break will be worth it. It will be worth it in the long run for not only my capability to prevent burnout and to keep doing this for y'all, but also just good things are coming. I think that is everything that I wanted to say about that. I'll keep reminding you that I'm going to be gone, so it's not a shock to your system, but I just wanted to go ahead and start telling you now. This week, though, we are headed back to ancient times, and we're going to be examining ancient examples of graffiti, long lost and forgotten scrawls and scribbles that were probably once an annoying eyesore, but now we're going to call them history. If you are unfamiliar, graffiti, or a graffito, which I've learned is the singular of graffiti, so cute, little graffito, but graffiti is art that's written, painted, scratched, or drawn on a wall or other surface, usually without permission and within public view. It can range from simple words or phrases to elaborate paintings that cover entire walls, and examples show that people have been doing graffiti for as long as people have existed. The word graffiti, as well as the singular graffito, come from the Italian word graffiato, which means scratched. This is because in art history, graffiti has been a term meaning art that has been produced by scratching a design in a surface. The word graffiato comes from the Greek graphene, which means to write. Also related is the term scraffito, which is a process that involves scratching through one layer of pigment to reveal another beneath it. But this technique was actually mostly used by potters who would glaze their work and then scratch a design into it. Or young children in the 2000s with those black things that have the rainbow underneath. You know what I'm talking about? And then the word graffiti just sort of meant inscriptions, drawings, or other markings that were left by people on the walls of ancient ruins or tombs. And so over time, the term has developed to mean any graphic that's applied to a surface in a manner that could be deemed vandalism. 
And we're going to dig into whether or not graffiti is vandalism at the end of the episode. So why do people graffiti and why do we care about it? Well, like I said, it's been going on for as long as humans have understood how to write or just have understood that they could put marks on stuff. Looking at the first systems of writing and communication, we're greeted with thousands upon thousands of examples showing us that when humans came up with pictographs and hieroglyphics, they started just slapping them up on walls. They figured out how to mix pigments, and then they thought, wow, that rock face looks mighty empty, and they just started to put whatever the hell they felt like all over it. The first Egyptian hieroglyphs date back to 3,000 years before the Common Era, making them around 5,000 years old, and the oldest cave paintings are 32,000 years old. So it seems that the desire to paint something representative of you or your culture on a wall is an innate part of our human nature. Now, of course, we could make the argument that these glyphs and paintings are not graffiti so much as they're just writings or pieces of art, which I think is a fair point, but where do we differentiate between graffiti and art? And if this is such a basic part of our human programming, why do so many people feel so strongly against graffiti? And to answer those questions, we're of course going to examine some examples of ancient graffiti as well as dig into how ancient examples compare to more modern ones. All right after this quick break. When you think about the construction of the Great Pyramids, what do you think of? Perhaps you imagine hot sun, sandy feet, and long backbreaking work. Maybe it's intergenerational labor to complete a broad cultural goal. Or maybe it's gangs of workers that are bonded together by their experiences and want to memorialize their contributions to this grand project. While a pyramid was being constructed in Egypt, there were long-term and skilled workers living in a permanent village in the shadow of the rising monument. These workers had an entire community that was dedicated to the creation and completion of the pyramid and archaeological digs have shown that this is where they raised their children and their families, with around half of the population being women and children making up more than 23% of the total. The only references we have on organization and control of this workforce comes from the inscriptions within the tombs of the supervisors. I guess, you know, to help them control the workforce that they have in the afterlife, in case they forgot while they were traveling to the beyond. But the directional inscriptions do tell us that this workforce was highly organized and could be easily managed to complete this goal. At Giza, work crews were divided into groups of 2,000, and then further subdivided into two named gangs of around 1,000 men. The gangs were further divided to make files, or tribes, of 200 workers. The files were then identified by single hieroglyphs that could mean things like endurance, strength, or perfection. We know they were named because inside the pyramids, on the stone blocks, in relieving chambers, and on some of the foundational stones, there's graffiti from the gang or the file that placed the block. Within the Great Pyramid, in one of the relieving chambers above the King's Chamber, a block of stone with red paint on it can be found. The red paint makes up a glyph of the King's name, then the gang's name follows. The one in the Great Pyramid translates to the Friends of Khufu Gang. In the Old Kingdom, the gangs were named after kings, so there are other various forms of the King's names that the gangs used to identify themselves, with one of them being called the Drunkards of Menkura. And in an almost comedic sense, these pieces of graffiti are part of what helped credit different kings and dynasties with the creation of the pyramids. These gangs made their mark to commemorate the hard work and camaraderie that they found together, and in doing so, immortalized themselves with the pyramids. Their words and their efforts are still visible 4,500 years later. 
Now, I'm going to go ahead and call out the fact that the authenticity of these marks is often debated by alternative historians online. I mean, you can find whole entire YouTube videos detailing how they were faked. But I'm here to tell you that they're very real and, and they've been found in areas that are inaccessible to anyone who wasn't there the day that that stone was placed. Like, quite literally, mortar between stones that's been radiocarbon dated to 2550 BCE that mortar is then removed, and then you can see the graffito between the stones where no one has laid eyes since the mortar went on. And also, these stones weigh multiple tons, so no one's just easily moving them to make these little markings, sliding them back in place and being like, hey guys, look what I found over here. Like, that's just not happening. Miss me with it, alternative historians. Stop making shit up to be more interesting. People are already interesting enough on their own. Our next example is also from Egypt, but these pieces of graffiti are not hieroglyphics. Have you ever thought about how people in the ancient world disseminated information about events? I'm talking about how they let other people know that this vendor had better and fresher fish, or that that temple would let you bring your dog to the patio. They didn't have the internet, and of course Gutenberg didn't make the printing press until 1440, but the people did have opinions, and they've had them since the beginning of time. So what did they do before the advent of the review? Well, just like the cave paintings and glyphs that I talked about at the top of the episode, they just fucking wrote on the walls. Egypt is impressive, and it kind of always has been. The pyramids at Giza and the Sphinx have long been marvels of human curiosity, and they're the sole survivor of the seven wonders of the world, so it's pretty safe to say that humans have been gawking at them for a very long time. But did you know that the pyramids and Egypt's Valley of the Kings have been viewed by tourists for the last 2,000 years? Yeah, the Romans really loved a vacation, and they would often visit Greece or locations around Italy, but the most popular spot for Roman tourists was Egypt. Roman visitors saw Egypt as exotic, ancient, and mysterious. Egyptian locals fed these thoughts with misinformation and legend, drawing more Romans to visit and profit off of. I want to be careful here, though, to not paint our Roman or Egyptian friends in a negative light. These Egyptians were just making a buck off the interest of these outsiders to their culture, and Romans, well, they were a little confused, and they thought that they were visiting a tomb of a mythological Ethiopian king that was involved in the Trojan War. So they kind of thought that they were just making a spiritual pilgrimage of sorts. In reality, though, they were really visiting the tombs of Ramses V and Ramses VI. The Romans that were visiting the tomb, though, were often high-ranking officials from both civil and military offices, philosophers, and doctors. Like I said, this is a trip for cultural and spiritual purposes, not just a casual visit to the Wisconsin Dells. And Romans aren't the only people that visited the tomb. Between the 3rd century BCE to the 7th century CE, Greek, Coptic, Latin, and Demotic graffiti was left inside of the tomb, though Coptic and Demotic examples are rare. And since 1996, a team from the Polish Center of Mediterranean Archaeology at the University of Warsaw has been working on studying and cataloging all the examples of graffiti that were left by Romans and other ancient visitors within the tomb of Ramses VI, also known as KV-9. Within the tomb, there are more than a thousand inscriptions left by ancient visitors, most of them dating to the Greco-Roman period, from the time that Alexander the Great was conquering Egypt all the way up to the fall of the Roman Empire. They're all over the place in the tomb, too. Close to the ceilings, 10 feet up the wall, you name it. And that's because at the time that these people visited, the corridors were filled with sand, and they hadn't been excavated through modern archaeological means. 
so it's likely that the first few visitors had to crawl in order to get in. The added marks also seem to be placed with some level of care, and it seems like the goal wasn't to destroy or draw away from the original art, but instead just state that you had been there. And I mean, quite literally, Adonis was here, or just simple names in hometowns all over the tomb. Who knew when you scribbled that on your 7th grade desk you were keeping up with an ancient tradition? Many of the inscriptions are conversations or discussion threads over the contents of the tomb. Literally Roman Yelp. One section reads, quote, I cannot read this writing, end quote. The next line replies, quote, Why do you care if you cannot read the hieroglyphs? I do not understand your concern, end quote. Frustration over inability to read the glyphs is a pretty common comment on the walls, and it's actually pretty funny to see that even thousands of years ago, it usually took disappointment rather than elation to prompt someone to leave a review. Another exchange on the topic says, quote, Eurekos, advocate from Escalon, after having visited, I have condemned myself for not having understood the text, end quote. And the later reply says, quote, I do not congratulate you on that irritation, oh, Burikos, end quote. Another had a pretty all right time, saying, quote, I, Aminos Singularis of Italy, saw and admire it, end quote. And one graffito even gives us a look into the way that the ancient visitors navigated the tomb, stating, quote, I, Dedukios, Scholasticos, and Physician, came and admired in silence, bearing a torch, end quote. At the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul, there are countless examples of graffiti that have been left since it was built in the 6th century. Originally a Christian church, the incredibly lavish building would go on to be a mosque, a museum, and then a mosque again, attracting many religious pilgrims and general admirers throughout each change. Now, the Hagia Sophia itself has a very long history, and if I went into all the details, we would get very far away from our topic of graffiti. I would completely lose my train of thought. You guys would be out in cold water. So you can read a lot about it online, and you can find many, many videos of visits on YouTube, and it's absolutely gorgeous. I'm genuinely considering a trip to Turkey, not only for the Hagia Sophia, but just in general. It should truly get more love for its beauty. But we're concerned with a very specific example of graffiti within this massive structure. And I'm talking about the very simple statement, Half Dan was here. Well, that's what we think he was getting at. Up on the parapet, the little walkway along walls or castles that guards would walk on, but up there on the parapet, there are at least two graffitis written in rune and left behind by Norsemen working as a part of the Varangian Guard and the Byzantine Army. Norsemen were common in this area during the 9th century when the carving was likely left, and the Varangian Guard was mostly composed of Rus Vikings, plus we have evidence of trade between Scandinavian and Islamic regions. When the runic graffiti was discovered in 1964, it was already worn down, and the full translation isn't really possible but the name Halfdan is legible. The remaining of the carving is illegible, but it's possible that it says Halfdan carved these runes, as the bases that we can see fit for those runes, but then again, so do others. A second inscription was found on the parapet in 1975 and was originally thought to say, quote, Ari made, end quote. <coughs> Possibly on its way to being, quote, Ari made these runes, end quote. <coughs> And this original thought made people feel like it had probably been abandoned before it was completed. But later readings of the carving would decide that it actually says Arnie, and is an example of pure name graffiti rather than the classic such and such is here formula that hails from before the common era. Did you know that the first depiction of Jesus is from a graffito? 
Dating from around 200 CE comes the Alexa Menos Graffito, a drawing and accompanying caption carved into a plaster wall found in 1857 in Rome. And I guess I should also go ahead and say that this isn't just the first depiction of Jesus of Nazareth, but it's also the first and earliest representation of the crucifixion. There are previous drawings and examples of general crucifixions, but this one shows the big guy before he did his big gotcha on Pontius Pilate. So, what does it show? Well, at the center of the scene, there's a humanoid figure on a cross, and the figure has the head of a donkey. To the left of the cross, there's another figure, a man, with one hand raised towards the central figure, possibly in praise. Between these two and beneath the cross is the caption written in Greek, quote, Alexa Menos worships his God, end quote. So, the first representation of the crucifixion of the big JC is a long-lasting and I'm sure still stinging burn meant to mock an early Christian named Alexa Menos. We can't entirely be sure who Alexa Menos is or who left this inscription about him, but we do know that the building that it was discovered in was once a boarding school for boys, so it's probable that it was left by a snot-nosed ancient punk kid. And interestingly, in a neighboring chamber written in a different hand, there's a carving that says, quote, Alexa Menos is faithful, end quote which you could argue is either a response to the donkey depiction or could have been the catalyst. You see, at this time in Rome, Christians were far from being the majority. They were mysterious to pagans and to other people around them. Early Christians were secretive and occasionally outright obstructive when people tried to learn more. The martyred Bishop of Lyons, when asked who the Christian God was, replied, quote, if you're a fit person, you shall know, end quote. This ambiguity and the general confusion surrounding the practices of Christians left room for speculation and accusations of cannibalism, incest, and, quote, things we ought never to speak or think about, end quote. And these accusations were everywhere in Rome. And for these people who Christianity is just a completely foreign thought to them, these practices aren't really a far jump when you consider the events that led Christians to becoming so heretical in their beliefs in the first place. One speech given in Rome stated, quote, they're initiated by the slaughter and the blood of an infant, end quote. And going on, the speaker says, quote, the religions of the Christians is foolish, and as much as they worship a crucified man, and even the instrument itself of his punishment, they are said to worship the head of an ass, and even the nature of their father, end quote. The idea of worshipping or even just supporting the image of a cross, let alone one with a man on it, was absolutely outlandish and insulting to contemporary Romans. Crucifixion isn't exclusive to the story of Jesus, and by the time that the Alexa Menos Graffito was carved, it had been going on for more than 500 years. So the impact left on Romans from seeing a cross or a figure on a cross would be comparable to how we may feel today when we see a person with a noose around their neck or strapped to a table waiting for their lethal injection. The donkey bit from the speech and the head within the Alexa Minos Graffito is probably based on a common misconception from the time that Jews worshipped a god that was in the form of a donkey that sort of just bled into Christianity. After being discovered in 1857, the section of the plaster wall that contained the Alexa Minos Graffito was removed and is in the Palatine Museum. I don't think that I've mentioned it, Oh my god, mark it down. This is so funny. I don't think I've ever made it this far into an episode without saying it. Check out Instagram. Go and take a peek at the Instagram. I'll have all of these up. I am doing my best to div give you some, you know, descriptions. Because I know we're talking about a visual kind of art today. 
doing my best to give you descriptions, but please, I put together the Instagram slides so that they help you. Um, I mean, it is fun. I have a great time, but um, go ahead and check them out. They're going to help a lot. Our final examples of ancient graffiti are going to come from Pompeii. You know the one, right on the shin of the boot of Italy, had an incident with a volcano once and then was abandoned for the foreseeable future. Oh, you don't know Pompeii? Well, it was a city in the first century, and much like Egypt, it was a popular vacation spot for Romans. It had markets and baths and temples and theaters and anything else that you could possibly imagine in your standard Greco-Roman city. And it was nestled at the base of Mount Vesuvius, a large and beautiful mountain. Well, the Pompeians thought it was just a mountain. It's actually a volcano, and in late October of 79 CE, the volcano erupted, destroying the cities of Pompeii and Herculaneum, leaving them entirely abandoned, and thus creating a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and one of Italy's most popular tourist sites, with more than 2.5 million visitors each year. I am not here, though, today to dig into the details covering the loss of Pompeii. I'm here to talk about the graffiti that was left in Pompeii. If you don't know, or maybe you forgot, like you forgot about Pompeii, Roman society was very casual about sex. They knew that it was just a fact of life, and they embraced it in ways that we would probably even as modern humans be surprised by. From stone carvings of penises that were literally used as talismans of good, to full-out murals that depict intercourse between all genders and in a variety of multiples, there are countless examples in Pompeii that show just how human and how accepting the citizens of the city were. Some of the examples of graffiti from Pompeii are much like what we've already discussed. They state that someone was once in that place and felt the need to document their experience. But also in Pompeii, we get examples of people talking mad shit on the walls of the city, and we start to see dicks drawn everywhere, which I honestly love because it reminds me of my earliest experiences seeing and doing graffiti. My hometown growing up had this wooden train at the city park that was a playset for kids, but it was just filled with graffiti of people's phone numbers with the tagline, call for a good time, boobs, dicks, standard name graffiti, everything imaginable on every surface. But I added my stamp when I was in fourth grade by drawing a butt that had poop coming out of it. But pun intended. People have been obsessed with drawing trouser snakes on stuff forever, and I think that's sort of beautiful. Now, when Pompeii was destroyed, it had a Now, when Pompeii was destroyed, it had a population of I think 20,000 people. And that number combined with its steady flow of tourists means that there are countless examples of graffiti in Pompeii. I'm talking so much stuff, and it was honestly hard for me to narrow down my favorites. I probably should have just scrapped this episode and done an entirely Pompeii graffiti episode. Maybe if y'all like this one, we'll do a whole Pompeii episode because I could. But I'm going to run off six quick examples of some of the amazing stuff that was left in Pompeii. So here we go. One of the most famous pieces of graffiti from Pompeii is an exchange between two men named Severus and Successus on a wall near the baths, and it goes something like this. Quote, Successus, a weaver, loves the innkeeper's slave girl named Iris. She, however, does not love him. Still, he begs her to have pity on him. His rival wrote this. Goodbye, Severus. End quote. Next line. Quote, 
Envious one, why do you get in the way? Submit to a handsomer man and one who is being treated very wrongly and good looking, end quote. That answer was written by Successus, if you didn't catch that. Next line, quote, I have spoken. I have written all there is to say. You love Iris, but she does not love you, end quote. Oh my God, do you, can you imagine, just like, like think about how much anger and frustration it takes you to like get built up to the place where you like snap back with a Twitter reply or like, you know, you comment on somebody's Instagram post or on Reddit or Facebook or whatever platform you're on. You reach that point. You're just like, I'm so annoyed. I've got to fucking respond. Imagine having that same feeling, but then having to, (laughs) but then having to just carve away at a plaster wall and just being like, you know what? You fucking envious bastard. I'm going to get your ass. Why don't you go lay with a handsomer man? <laughs> like, oh, that's not even the best one, guys. That's just number one. All right, next example. On the door of an inn, a carving reads, quote, We have wet the bed, host. I confess we have done wrong. If you want to know why, there was no chamber pot, end quote. Again, what do you do before the advent of the review? Before Airbnb, what do you do? Like, you can't just shoot him a message. There's no DM to be like, hey, dog, where's the bathroom? Where's the chamber pot? My, my girl's got to go. Like, <laughs> no, you just shit the bed. You just wet the bed, and then you just scratch on the wall. <laughs> you just scratch into the wall for everyone to see. Yeah, that mattress you're sleeping on, somebody shat in it. Somebody made a whole mess in there. Number three, in the atrium of the house of the Ara Maxima, a graffito sweetly states, quote, if anyone does not believe in Venus, they should gaze at my girlfriend, end quote. This one is so cute. Like, could you imagine if anyone doesn't believe in the gods, if you don't think that the gods are real, just look at my girl. Oh, my heart. Number four. In the gladiator barracks, a soldier left this note next to the beds. Quote, Floronius, privileged soldier of the Seventh Legion, was here. The women did not know of his presence. Only six women came to know. Far too few for such a stallion, end quote. I don't know, Floronius, isn't it kind of your business to let the ladies know where you are? Let your presence be known, dog. Isn't it, isn't the phrase get in where you can? Like, you were here, obviously. You were here long enough to scratch all these lines into a wall. Like, come on, dude. Get out there, get you some. If you would have just stuck to the Floronius was here, you probably could have had sex with at least six more women. Maybe you could have tripled it. Maybe you could have gone for a full 18. Number five, a scrawl within the brothel of Inulus and Papilo contains a particularly sassy inscription from a man scorned. Quote, weep you girls. My penis has given you up. Now it penetrates man's behinds. Goodbye, wondrous femininity. End quote. And for number six, I know it's not technically Pompeii, but I thought it was just too good to not include. This one is from near the house of the gym in Herculaneum, and it reads, quote, Apollinaris, the doctor of the Emperor Titus, defecated well here, end quote. (laughs) Like, this reminds me, I once knew a guy who kept a note on his phone, like on his Apple notes, of his best shits. And just, like, the location of them, what made them so good, like, the date. 
like the, he wanted to remember, right? He was a coworker of mine. And this is this is giving that. This is giving this is the this was the best poop of my life. I have to let everyone know that I had a good poop here. And I also have to let them know that I'm not just some Joe Schmo off the street. I am the doctor of the emperor. I know a good shit when I take one. Okay? So trust me when I say that I, Apollinaris, the doctor of the emperor Titus, defecated well here. 10 out of 10, going to the top of the iPhone note. So that tour through ancient graffiti brings us back to those two original questions. At what point do we differentiate between graffiti and art? And if graffiti is a basic part of our brains as humans, why do so many people feel so strongly about it? First off, I think that we can begin to differentiate between graffiti and art nowhere. Graffiti is art. It's arguably folk art, coming straight from the community that it represents and created by individuals who aren't influenced by anything except for themselves non-traditional artistic backgrounds, free thinkers. Graffiti is an expression of individuality, of that innate human desire to state that you are here, that your existence matters, that, that your presence in a space is impactful, that the time that you've spent getting to that place, protecting it, sitting inside of it, staring at your seventh grade teacher drone on and on and on about comma splices was worth it. You were a human and you lived the experience. And I think that that is art. I think that there's something artistically beautiful about the desire to leave a mark. And it doesn't even have to be words. We talked a lot about like word-based graffiti in this episode even when it comes to people that are illiterate and visiting, you know, sites that move them just to make their own mark. Like, I know I've said mark a million times, but to quite literally leave their impression, make their mark on that space in the same way that it made a mark on them. That's, that's beautiful. And I think that the pure joy of that expression of individuality or experience is kind of also what feeds into people's hatred towards it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I completely understand all the sides of like, you know, you're defacing property that's not yours or whatever. To which I also kind of argue that when it comes to tagging on buildings or on tables or on bathroom stalls or whatever, it's who fucking cares? Who cares? Like, I would much rather walk around the downtown of any city in the United States and see a bunch of tags, a bunch of graffiti art that represents the true culture of the people living in that city rather than blank gray walls or, or benches and architecture that were made to prevent houseless people from sleeping or protecting themselves from elements. I would much rather see art. I would much rather see folk art, statues, graffiti, tags, whatever. I'd rather see that every time. I personally feel that conversations surrounding graffiti, surrounding tags, surrounding, you know, big 
spray paint murals, graffiti artists, whatever you would like to call these folks. I think that the conversation is greatly shifting. And I think that has a lot to do with the recognition that not only does this art provide people with the ability to make an impact on their homes and their cities, it allows for people to have an outlet and it allows for the general population to have access to art. I know in St. Louis, as well as in Denver, and I'm sure many, many other cities around the United States, there are areas that are safe to spray areas or locations that are open to tagging. And in St. Louis, it's down by the river. But there are these huge, like, 30-foot walls that every year people come and they paint over them. Most beautiful and incredible spray paint art that I have ever seen. In the town where my college was in Missouri, we had a safe-to-spray skate park, which just not only was really cool to see and, you know, I also went there and did a few tags with friends throughout the years, but just to take pictures in and to just to get to enjoy, I used to just go sit at the skate park with friends in college. It was a place that I spent a lot of time at. I really enjoyed that. At my college, there was also a guy who would do tags all over campus. I still have no idea who this dude was, and I went to a really small school, but he did tags all over campus, and it would just be B R and then a number. And after a year or so of being at my school, I realized that there was no duplicate of the number. Every single one was counting. And there are something like a thousand plus of these tags on campus everywhere too. Like, I don't know if this was just one dude or if this was like multiple people or what, but every room every floor, every building of every major, of every possible academic venture you could take on our campus, this tag was there. I'm I'm pretty sure that it was a dude who did the tag and you could probably find the tag in like ladies restrooms. Graffiti also has a innately anarchist vibe to it, which has been used to make Banksy's entire career. If you're unfamiliar, Banksy is an England-based street artist slash political activist slash national treasure of the UK, all the while is entirely anonymous. Nobody knows what his real name is or his real identity is, but he is famous for putting up all of these very impactful and yet at the same time minimalistic stenciled on pieces of art that make statements on migration, militarism, climate change. I mean, he literally exists within the system, but outside of the system. A few years ago, I think this was, hold on, let me look it up. Holy shit, this was five years ago. Five years ago, one of his paintings sold for $1.4 million dollars and then immediately after being sold, they hit the gavel. They said, all right, cool. The painting self-destructed. It shredded itself in front of the entire auction house. Like, (laughs) I think that 
this is all coming back to the fact that graffiti is pure art. It's pure expression of humans in the wild, humans out in nature, doing the damn thing, marking their territory, putting out statements of, I'm not having sex with women anymore. I'm only having sex with men. Uh, Successes, you fucking suck. Oh no, Severus, you suck. Back and forth. I can't read these hieroglyphs. They're annoying. Well, that's your problem. Like, it's just, it's humanity doing what humanity does. And I love it. I am just, I'm feeling all kinds of feelings. I am feeling excited about graffiti. I want to just like go tag my name on some stuff. But I also don't want to get arrested for vandalism because, you know, we live in that kind of society. We live in a society. It feels weird to wrap the episode up like this, but I did all my housekeeping at the top. So I guess that that's done. I do have one recommendation for this week, you guys. And again, it's unrelated to the episode. And it is Queen Charlotte on Netflix. I was very, very skeptical about whether or not I was going to watch this show. I went back and forth on it a lot. As you know, my best friend Tamaje also has her own podcast. And she was trying to convince me to watch it. She finally did convince me. But of course, in my fashion, I had to go and research and read and do a bunch of stuff. I listened to, I think, three or four podcasts over Queen Charlotte and the true history. And then I watched the first episode on my own. And then I was like, oh my God, Bebo would love this. Bebo and I started watching it together. It is so good. It, it's almost like frustrating at times how good it is because I wanted to dislike it and self-disclosure I kind of don't like to change my mind on things um but it's good so give that a watch check that out and again just a reminder that I will be gone after the 20th episode I'm taking a three-week break gonna continue to remind you guys at the end of the episodes I am going to remind you over and over again until it happens just so you don't forget and so you guys don't get mad at me whenever I'm gone. But I think that that's where I'm going to call it. Thank you guys so, so much for joining me. Goodbye. I hope you'll join me next week in the pursuit to know a little bit about everything. In the meantime, go on over to Instagram, like our latest post, share the pod with a friend that you think would be interested in the commentary from Pompeii. Go ahead and respond to the Q&A and the poll for this week's episode. Send me a DM on Instagram. Send me a picture of your dog. Do whatever. Mostly stay safe out there. Until next time, guys. Thanks.